0: I was in group therapy with other agoraphobics for two more years. That's how long I I stayed with it. Right before I was famous, because there was no way I was getting into the city. And I said, if I can't get on a train to the city by myself, or drive to the city, or be in a car, or go on the road, how am I going to be a famous artist? Because my greatest desire was to be a, I would say, I want to be a rock and roll star. You know, I'm singing. I'm a singer. I want to be famous. This is exactly where I was at. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard.
1: Welcome, everyone. I am your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Taylor Dane. Taylor is a pop icon with a career spanning three decades. Her groundbreaking debut single, Tell It to My Heart, turned her into an overnight star back in 1987. Recently, Taylor competed in the Fox hit show, The Masked Singer. She was popcorn and she made it all the way to the semifinals. Taylor, welcome to the show.
0: Aw, thank you. Hi, Gabe.
1: I wanted to tell you, Taylor, when I read the Tell It To My Heart, I wanted to sing it. I wanted to say the groundbreaking debut single, Tell It To My Heart, Tell Me I'm The Only (laughs) One, turned her into an overnight star back in 1987. Does this happen to you all the time?
0: Well, <laughs> it doesn't happen all the time, but you're right. When those uh, that first single hits and it's magic and the world hears it, and uh, it definitely altered the, the course of my life and changed my career. And that was the beginning of it.
1: You're with us today to share your personal experience and story with anxiety, panic attacks, and agoraphobia. So let's start right at the beginning. When did you first start experiencing symptoms of anxiety?
0: Yeah. So about 14, 15. I had my first panic attack and, um, I, the experience, I was more or less alone. I was definitely paralyzed. I mean, something happened, right. That was out of my control. And more than that, I felt like I was losing my mind. And believe it or not, I was on some youth hostels trip and I never felt more lonely in my life and disconnected. And that's just the way it is. I wasn't connected to anybody, family, friends, nothing. I was just with this group of kids on this track. I wasn't emotionally ready for it. And not to mention that I had bulimic stuff going on since I was 12, 13, 14. I mean, this is all signs and not as uncommon teenage girl struggling with all these anxieties, slash insecurity slash placement feelings and uh, anxieties. But what that did was that paralyzed me to such a point where like any phobia you or when you create a phobia, it's wherever you were or whatever it was that triggered this sort of panic you try to eliminate from your life.
1: Were you aware of those things? Did you know what was going on when you had that that first panic attack? Were you like, oh, I'm having a panic attack? Or were you confused by the entire thing?
0: No, not at all. I mean, I like I said, I was sitting in the middle of France in some field on some youth hostel trip, on a bike trip that I felt forced to go on by my parents. And I was with 10 strangers and I just drank like 20 beers the night before to some strange guy and made out with him. And to my opinion, I I was I was cheating on the boyfriend I had at home who I thought was waiting there diligently for me. No, I had no idea. Like I said, I thought I was going crazy. You know, I felt weakness if I expressed that. Let alone to anybody around me, which were all 16-year-olds going through their own crises. And believe me, one of them ended up going home. One and up, two of them ended up going home. The strongest one and the weakest one. I mean, they flew home from a trip. It was like Lord of the Flies. That's how it turned out. We were all just on our own. But I, no, I did not know what happened to me. No, I thought I was literally having a bad trip on LSD or something like that. That's what it felt like. My body, my mind, my my energy. I saw myself floating outside my own body. I was completely detached. The panic was that went to that place, you know, where you're obviously a hyperventilating. I must, but it happened within seconds, and it was this this flood of adrenaline that, whatever that feeling is, where you are just you want to run, but you can't go anywhere because it's your body. You're, you're trapped within yourself.
1: From the time of that first panic attack until the time that you were actually able to receive help and, and know that it was anxiety and panic, how how long did that take?
0: Um, At least a year, easily before my own body was starting to calm down, but it, it just wouldn't until we finally got a label for it. But that was, took a year, year and a half. I was still in, I was in 11th grade then. I mean, yeah, it's not wasn't that simple and I didn't share it. I mean, my mother was probably the first one that knew it, but I blame my mother for so many of the things that I went through, you know. It was like there was a love hate going on there, you know. Yeah. Um, and I go back to like I said I think I was 16 when I came back that summer. I didn't know if it would happen again. So to avoid that panic again or whatever that thing that state was, I just went like a sergeant with myself. I was just completely and in control, made sure I stayed in control to survive, survive, survive. Firstly, I never drank again after that. I made sure I slept. I was always like, made sure we got like, this is through this trip to survive it. Otherwise I said, I have to tell them and they have to hospitalize me just till I got home. It was literally like I was in a war with myself. Um, I got home. That trip was probably like two, three weeks. Um, So I'm going to say that state of hyper uh, awareness and also the adrenaline, you know, that, that hyper, that panicking, I was in that state for, my God, I mean, calm down. Like I said, I controlled it by going home and then I vowed you're never making me leave this house again. I was more angry with my parents for making me go on this trip and my own feeling that I had to be so strong and not share my weakness
1: Taylor, when you found out that it was anxiety and panic disorder, what were some of those first treatments? And did you accept the diagnosis right away? Did you accept the treatments right away? Or did you push back against it?
0: No, I didn't push back against anything. I had a voice finally. I, I, somehow my mom, I don't remember how she found it, but she she found it. She, we went to a doctor, a psychiatrist, but he put me on a pill immediately. And I said, okay, and I'll never forget it because... It increased my anxiety to such a place that I had another panic attack in the house with my mom. And I don't remember she took me to the hospital then again, I think I was like in 11th grade. So I was like 17 then I said, it was a year and the, the pill, the medication made me so crazy. So I wasn't a fan of medication or at least what this guy put me on. I was freaked out and it took a while. So then maybe within a year, another year, I told them I'm not going away to college. You know, that was the whole thing. I was going away, blah, blah. I said, oh, hell no. And at some point during that time when I was probably 18, 19, so you're talking over the course of a couple of years. That's not going away to college. That's staying here, going, studying voice with a maestro in the city from Manhattan School of College, not even just getting on a train All those things. I mean, we can go into all the debilitate, like how impossible those things were. But the one voice inside me, my voice of what I wanted, my goal was so much stronger. And it led me to um, a behavioral modification clinic. And that was where my mother kind of hooked me up with them. And I think I was 18, 19. I left my house already by 18. I was living with a boyfriend. He was my safety zone. I couldn't go anywhere without him. I couldn't even go to rehearsals. Yet I was in a band. It, is, it was, couldn't go far. I couldn't drive. he drives. drive. The next band that was in the city, I was like, you have to drive. You have to take me there. I was only safe if Kevin was there. Like, he's the only one that understood it.
1: When I think about agoraphobia, I think about it in terms of, uh, I can't leave my house. Like, that's the pop culture
0: portrayal. That's not, yeah, that is the, it's, it's fear of the marketplace is the Latin derivation of it. But what, what it really is, is it starts wherever you are. You can't label it. It's not a spider a height.
1: What was it like for you? What did agoraphobia look like for you?
0: What it was like for me is my world got smaller and smaller. And I could only, you, you tend to make it where you don't leave the house because everything within your home is controllable and you know where it's coming from and you can get there and you know, the panic won't come. You know, everything you can control it all. It's an uncontrollable panic, right? You don't know where the source is. You can't source it so it's about 18, 17. My mom introduced me to TM. He was discovering things for herself. So I started doing meditation. I started doing TM at a very young age. And I found that that helped me regulate my breath. And I started to be able to control that, regulate my panic or regulate my anxiety. It did not stop me from joining bands and going out there. All I did was have a safety zone. Like I said, I found a boyfriend. We moved in together very locally and he went everywhere with me. I mean, when you think about it now, it's um, it's incredible how committed we were to each other. Um, and I started playing the band. I went into the next one. We were getting record, you know, and I was like, this has got to stop, meaning I, I have to lose this fear. I have to work on it. And that's when I found a, a clinic and it was a behavior modification clinic. And it was up on the North Shore and they dealt with what they called agoraphobia. And then I joined... Um, it was a 13 week program, literally a behavior modification, like nothing short of what you would do, you know, in rehab.
1: When it comes to treating anxiety, many people are surprised to hear that it takes so long. There's just sort of this suck it up and get through it mentality that we hear from others. And that often we, we say to ourselves in self-talk, you were in a program that took 13 weeks. Now that's, that's almost four months right there.
0: That's the initial program. That was the commitment. So the commitment was the initial 13 weeks and I was I was saying amen every day because what it was was a uh, one-on-one. And then, I mean, I wasn't in some place. I was home with the program. And then I'd have somebody come with me and do the physical activity so I could actually work that physically. Because it's really physically, your mental state is where you're physically uh, incapacitated. And also then emotionally where you can't move. So it took me on, like literally, we'd go one exit in a car. You know, my big, great fears was travel, right? Moving. And yet I wanted to be in a band and I wanted to play in New York City. Like, imagine. My greatest savior was my voice because of the desire. Break out of it was so strong. You have to desire to change. I mean, it's like an addiction. You're addicted to the fear. At some point, you have to look at it, what it is. It's not that it's, it's something you want. It's something that is.
1: One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to nocd.com to learn more. That's nocd.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media.
0: He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist.
1: That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast
0: player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more.
1: Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back discussing anxiety and agoraphobia with pop star Taylor Dane. I-, I love what you say about your desire to be famous, to be a singer, to be in a band was greater than the panic and anxiety. Because I I know how debilitating uh, anxiety can be. But your dream was greater.
0: Yes, my desire, I need be out of this situation and to be famous and to get out of this was was greater than the fear. And I believed after meeting some of these people and working at this clinic and these therapists working with me, I realized that this was something that I could then put into a box. Every time a thought came, I'd pull on my rubber band. Every time a negative thought came, you know, there were all these tricks and tools that I started to learn. I started building up an arsenal box. That's that's really it, a tool chest.
1: It sounds like the first coping skill that you learned was the rubber band. Can you explain the rubber band to our audience who, who may not understand?
0: Rubber band is something as, <laughs> as simple as it gets. When you are going through something and you can't get out of your thought, you're having that emotional, anxious, there's a build, right? You start listening to that voice. It's that internal voice that's going, oh my God, oh my God, right? So this rubber band is a snap. It's a snap. And you go, stop. Just a thought. It's not true. There's no reality to this. Say, what's your biggest panic? And I go, well, if I'm on a bridge and what if I get stuck in the traffic? And she goes, what can you do? Snap. You can get out of your car and you can talk to somebody. What do you do if you're on a plane? And what this rubber band does is it snaps you. Every time you're having a negative, you could be snapping it 17,000 times in one minute. But eventually, you're going to stop the thought because you were backed up with a new thought. This is not real. This really can't hurt me. These are just thoughts. They're not real. Not happening. Not the truth. Change the thoughts.
1: Now, you've described a lot of this as happening before you were famous, while you were still trying to become a professional singer. That's correct. By the time you did become a professional singer, when, when you made it, when you got there, how was the anxiety then? Were, was it more under control? Was it still a factor? Talk about that point of your life.
0: No, I had it fully under control before I was famous.
1: That's amazing.
0: There's no possible way. I did it by sleeping in two separate rooms. <laughs> I had to start sleeping separately from my safety zone. We did it by sleeping in separate beds. Like she went through the whole process with me. This is an 18, 19 year old girl. Sleeping in separate beds, then slept in separate rooms. That's how I had to work the process. Then I moved out. I moved back to my mother's home. My parents are separated. My mom was living in an ashram. It was this whole lengthy process to be okay on my own and not put it on somebody else, but also develop the skills and the strength that I knew it wasn't going to kill me. It wasn't going to kill me. So like, I started working in a club just on the weekends in Brighton Beach, this Russian nightclub. And then, of course, I was singing. I was in two bands. Before that, my boyfriend, as I said, my safety zone would take me on every rehearsal, take me to every show. It's miraculous, my story, but it's also shows you what your desire and your mind can do and can turn around and pull through for you, you know, with will and your desire to get healthy and stay that way. Because once you recovered like that, once you're in that recovery, those skills, those tools, you've developed the muscles so you can access them so much easier. But I took a while.
1: So often I think people hear, okay, she had an anxiety disorder, she got treatment, and then she became famous, so it must be all good now, right? And I I know that's not the case.
0: No, it's not the case at
1: all. Anxiety is still an issue. You're just better at managing it. Yeah,
0: it's free-floating. It will always be with me, but I've continued on my journey, right, of working through the breath of of the tools that work for me the most, of anything I put in outside anything you take in is a product of what you get out. Look at my age, look at how I treat my body or or the things I do, the tools and the techniques and the the ways I have to keep myself. I try to keep myself optimal because not for fear at this point, but I know what the, the ramifications are. If I don't, I could slip back into a place. I'm very mindful of that.
1: Taylor, to people who are experiencing panic attacks and anxiety and agoraphobia symptoms, what advice do you have for them?
0: Find a program, number one. If you just started experiencing it and you're very young, you need to talk to a professional for panic attacks, for anxiety disorder immediately because you can be misdiagnosed on so many levels and just for yourself because you're, I'm sure, there's millions of young ladies out there and young guys You know, I've met them. I see them face to face. I've met them. They're just riveted with fear. They're they're shaking. Even my own daughter is just born with, has this, being her mom, that whole like snap out of it, even to some extent, if you don't want to help yourself, you have to have the desire. You have to put the work in. There's no other way around it. That I must reiterate time and time again, you have to commit to your love of yourself. You have to commit to this. I did everything. I would read every book. I was writing out my affirmations nightly. Everything, any tool I could find, I was using. And that is way to recovery. Reach out to a health professional. Obviously, there is names for this now. You, you have options. And from there, continue until you have nailed this. And make sure you try to put goals in front of yourself. Make sure that you have something to drive for bigger than, than what the fear is.
1: I love your message that you got to get ahead of it. You, you got to find the label, find the treatment, work hard take control and move forward. And I know many, many people, they struggle with that. And I'm, I'm really fond of saying that it's always easier to do something when you've seen somebody else do it first. So uh, Taylor, thanks for modeling the way.
0: My, my sincere, absolute heart holds for people that are in this space and they feel trapped. And you're, you might be for the moment, But this is not real and it won't last. But you have to understand that. You have to get to that place. You have to understand it's not real. It's not the truth. It's not who you really are. It's not your
1: being. Taylor, I loved having you here. Before we go, where can folks find you online?
0: The real Taylor Dane, my Instagram account, my TikTok. I look at my DMs on Instagram a lot. Twitter, reach out. If you feel really trapped, trust me, you're not. Really, you're not. That's the belief in and of itself. And you can find me, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, The Real Taylor Dane or Taylor Dane, T-A-Y-N-E.
1: You can also check her out at taylordane.com. It has all of her social media as well as her concert tour dates. It's a really cool resource for all things Taylor. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, I'm on the road a lot. So you definitely, guys, if you want to come out to a concert, if you feel you can do it, you know, please see me there and, You'll understand like where I was from 15 to where I am now, 50, right? It's it's quite a, quite a feeling
1: and it's uh, it's exhilarating. You heard her, everybody. We're having a, an inside mental health meetup at the next Taylor Dane show in your town. <laughs> Amen. Taylor, thank you so much. This has been awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Gabe. You take care.
1: You are very welcome, and a big thank you to all of our listeners. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me over at GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free and you won't miss anything. And can you do me a favor? Tell your friends, family members, or colleagues about the podcast. Sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health.
0: You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening.
1: There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD.